and as I said um, before, most of you, if you've been around a long time, um, Dan needs no introduction. He was a former music ministry director many years ago, a former pastor here and elsewhere, and now a missionary on the field and off of the field and on the field and off of the field and on the field and off of the field. That's sort of his life uh, now with Timothy 2 International back and forth to uh, Latin American countries. And so we're grateful to have him right here in America in our pulpit today. And so thank you, Dan, for being here. Would you welcome Dan? Thank you. It's good to be with you today and to serve in this capacity today. We are continuing uh, at Stacy's request to, con- to uh, go on with the Acts uh, series that he's begun a number of months ago. And we uh, set that aside for the hurricane and for last week in responding to the hurricane. So we're going to continue uh, with that uh, this week again. So if you can remember, remember back three weeks ago, in chapter 19, while in Ephesus, Paul resolved in the spirit to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. But on his way to Jerusalem in chapters 20 and 21 of Acts, he was warned repeatedly against going there by the elders in Ephesus, by the prophet Agabus, by his traveling companions, including Luke and by the other believers in Caesarea. We'll turn there just a moment. But Paul couldn't be persuaded to stay away. He continued his journey toward the city, hoping to arrive in time for the Feast of Pentecost. And when he arrived, he met with James and the other leaders of the Jerusalem church. And they told him the good news that thousands of Jews had come to faith in Christ over those several decades that he had been gone. But also there were rumors that Paul was teaching the Jews elsewhere not to circumcise their children and to forsake the law of Moses. So he had something to overcome as he uh, came into the city there. James had revealed, he he and the leaders uh, came up with a plan so that would keep Paul out of trouble while he was there. But in spite of uh, Paul following that plan, He was seized by the Jews, dragged out of the temple and beaten, then arrested and put in chains by the Roman soldiers. And when the Roman commander tried to find out why Paul was being beaten by the Jews, there was so much noise from the crowd and so many conflicting messages, he ordered Paul to be taken to the Roman barracks to be questioned. And that's where our story begins today. Acts chapter 21, verse 37 through chapter 22, verse 29. And I'll be reading from the English Standard Version today. So would you please stand, if you're able, in honor of the reading of God's Word. As Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, May I say something to you? And he said, Do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a citizen of no obscure city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. 
And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and I saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful? For you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him. 
immediately, and the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. Let's pray. Well, Lord, thank you for your word today. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In Peter's first letter to persecuted believers in Asia, he wrote these words in chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that is God's will, than for doing evil. In this chapter of Acts, we find Paul defending the gospel, just as Peter spoke of in his epistle, by, in this case, sharing his personal testimony with a group of angry, violent Jews. We can identify three things that Paul did in this instance to make a defense of the gospel. Number one, he seized an opportunity for the gospel. Number two, he shared his testimony about how the gospel had changed his life. And number three, he was ready to suffer for the gospel if necessary. So first, let's see how he seized an opportunity for the gospel. Let's look back at Acts chapter 21, verse 36, leading into this passage. The last verse says, The mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him. These Jews wanted to kill Paul for teaching Jews in other places to set aside the law of Moses. These Jews were zealous for the law. And likely they would have done so that day unless he had been arrested by the Roman soldiers. They saw what was happening and, and they came and broke things up. Yet before they took him to the safety of the Roman garrison, he asked the commander of the soldiers for permission to preach the gospel to those same Jews. He said to the commander in verse 39, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. He seized an opportunity for the gospel. How he did so is not so important because there are many, many ways that we too can seize opportunities to share the gospel. But perhaps we can learn a couple things by seeing how he did it on this particular day. First, he spoke their language. He got their attention by speaking their language in a couple different situations here. He spoke in Greek to the Roman soldier when asking permission to speak to the people. It's a little bit unclear in the uh, version that we read. The New Living Translation in verses 37 and 38 makes it a little bit clearer says it this way, as Paul was about to be taken inside, he said to the commander, may I have a word with you? The, then the commander asked, surprised, do you know Greek? Aren't you the Egyptian who led a rebellion some time ago and took 4,000 members of the assassins out into the desert? So we surmise from that that the commander originally mistook Paul for an Egyptian freedom fighter some three years earlier who attacked 
uh, the city of Jerusalem with a large band of men. They were, history tells us, quickly defeated by the Romans, but during the fight, this Egyptian himself disappeared. We know also that Greek and Latin were the common languages of the Romans at that time. So when Paul spoke to him in Greek, this surprised and I believe um, impressed the soldier that day. And perhaps it was the reason he gave Paul permission to speak to the people in spite of the, all the activities that had taken place before that. Second, when he began to speak to the people, he used the common language of the Jews, Aramaic. He began by raising his hand to get their attention. Verse 40 says, when, he, when, he, when they saw this, a hush fell over the crowd. Then in chapter 22, verse 2, it says, when they heard him speaking in their own language, the silence was even greater. By speaking their common languages, he impressed the soldier and he hushed the angry crowd. Now, most of us know, don't know Greek or Aramaic. But when we speak, share the gospel with others, it's best if we can use the language that, that's most familiar to them. I'm not talking about English versus Spanish versus French. I'm talking about what, what most communicates to their hearts, to the person that you're speaking with. Speak at his level. Speak words that he understands or she understands. But that day he did something else to seize an opportunity for the gospel. He spoke to the issues that most concerned them. He answered the questions that the Jews had in their hearts about the rumors that were going on around him. Paul took great pains in his testimony to establish his credentials as a faithful Jew like they were. Chapter 22, verse 3, he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus, in Cilicia, but brought up in this city educated at the feet of Gamaliel according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just like you are. And he told them he also associated with faithful Jews. Verses 12 and 13, he says, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. He was trying to build up his credentials. He was trying to build bridges with these faithful Jews so that they would listen to what he had to say. Finally, he told them he had received his calling from God. This is 25 years prior, while praying in their own temple here in Jerusalem. God said, go, for I am sending you to the Gentiles. So in these several ways, Paul seized an opportunity for the gospel by speaking their language and by addressing the issues that most concern them. So how can we likewise seize opportunities for the gospel? In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus taught us to make disciples. One of the things he told us to do in making disciples is to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Paul seized an opportunity for the gospel by going to Jerusalem in spite of the many warnings to the contrary. Had he not gone, these Jews would have never heard the truth about his testimony. They heard rumors about him, but did they really know who Paul was? He told them later who he had been before, 
what happened to him in his conversion and what God had called him to do. We too can seize opportunities for the gospel by going to places where there are people who don't know Christ. Each of us should be asking, where are those places? Who are those people? How can I reach them with my own gifts and abilities? 1 Peter 3 says we're told to be prepared or to be ready to make a defense of the gospel. Paul was prepared or ready to preach the gospel even under such dire circumstances like these to people who even wanted to kill him. Stephen did the same thing back in Acts chapter 7, we read. He preached the gospel when he was on trial before the high priest, even before they stoned him. In fact, Paul begins his defense in verse 1 with the same words as Stephen. Brothers and fathers, hear me today. So we too should be each asking ourselves, what can I, like Paul, like Stephen and others, do to seize an opportunity for the gospel? The second thing Paul did to defend the gospel that day was he shared his testimony about how the gospel had changed his life. We find this in chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. He begins, brothers and fathers, hear the defense I now make before you. And in his testimony, he describes what he was like before his conversion, during the conversion itself, and how, what God called him to do after his conversion. So before his conversion, he, he was a faithful Jew. He associated with other faithful Jews. He was also a zealous persecutor of Christians. He told them he persecuted the way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as he was commissioned by the high priest. Then he told them what he was like before his conversion. He also described his conversion experience in verses 6 through 10. I was, out, I was on my way and drew near, near to Damascus. About, a, about noon, a great light from heaven shone around me. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who is this that I'm speaking to? And he goes through all the details of his conversion. He must have thought that it was important for them to know all of these details that day. So he shared those with his listeners. Then he told how his conversion experience resulted in a particular calling in his life. He was told by Ananias in verses 14 and 15, the God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear his voice. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And later in the temple, God himself spoke to him in a vision, go for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So he shared his calling as a result of his conversion experiences. Now, sharing one's testimony is one way of sharing our faith with those uh, who don't know Christ. At other times and places, Paul preached the gospel by sharing other facts about the life, death, and resurrection and ascension of Christ to prove that Jesus is the Messiah, according to the Old Testament scriptures. However, here he preaches the gospel by sharing the facts of his own life, what happened to him because of his conversion. So this is just as valid a means of sharing the gospel, sharing our testimonies. And like Paul, each of us has a testimony that we can share with others. But each one of us is different. Each one of us has a, a bit of a different story. 
None of us perhaps has a testimony quite as dramatic as Paul's. But every true believer was born again at some point in time. Some earlier in life, some later in life. Someone has said it's important for those who have been converted later in life to recall and to tell others what they once were. And it's just as important for those converted in infancy or youth to imagine or, and to tell others what they could have been apart from the grace of God. We should remember that it's only by the grace of God that we are what we are now. So we can never boast in ourselves, but only in the gospel of Christ. If you've ever been into, in a situation where several people were sharing their testimony, and uh, one person shared his or her testimony, and then the next person shared, and the next person shared, and sometimes it was a top your testimony event, you know, how bad one person was. Well, I was even badder than they were, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, Paul was pretty bad. <clears throat> And we're, we're not uh, called to top one another's testimony. We're just to share with unbelievers uh, what God has done in our lives so that they can hear from a person who's, who's gone through such an experience. When we do so, we can be assured that the Holy Spirit is going to guide us. We may stumble and fall. We may uh, be seeming at a lack for words, but... Jesus told his disciples this one day. He said, before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. He said, this will be your opportunity to witness to Christ. So he said, settle it before in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer, for I will give you Words and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And I believe even when we're sharing our testimony with people who are less, much less than kings and rulers, our friends, our families, our co-workers, the Holy Spirit will give us words and wisdom also. Our words are not going to be perfect. And even if they don't let us finish, did you notice that they didn't, the Jews didn't let Paul finish his testimony? We will plant and water a seed in their hearts that day. Our responsibility is to plant and to water. God will cause the growth. The third thing that Paul did to defend the gospel that day was that he was ready to suffer for the gospel. And there are two parts to this point. The first part, that he didn't soften the message to protect himself from the Jews. And the second part that was that he didn't suffer unnecessarily when the Romans sought to unlawfully torture him. So first, he didn't soften the gospel message to protect himself from the Jews. He knowingly shared a portion of his testimony that he knew the Jews would not like. In verse 21, he told them that God said to him in a vision in the temple, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The Jews were listening up to that point, but in verses 22 and 23, we're told, They raised their voices, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he, he should not be allowed to live. They were shouting and throwing their cloaks and flinging, thing, fling, flinging dirt into the air. 
all that resentment and anger that rose up in them once again. They just couldn't accept the fact that God in Christ, through Paul, was offering the gospel now also to the Gentiles, just as Jonah had done many centuries before. Likewise, we shouldn't soften our message to unbelievers today when we share with them. For example, when we share the gospel, we shouldn't avoid the issue of sin, even though many unbelievers can't accept it. The Bible teaches that the original sin of Adam has been passed down to each of us so that we're born with a sinful nature and that we commit actual sins every day of our lives. But this is what separates unbelievers from a holy God. That's the problem between God and men. And it can't be passed over when we share that part of the gospel with them. Jesus said in Matthew 28, Make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And one of the first things Jesus commanded in his own preaching was repentance for forgiveness of sins. But this issue can cause unbelievers to become angry and resentful toward us when we say or imply that they too are sinners like we are. They'd rather either deny it or just not think about it. As a result, we may suffer estrangement or rejection for, from them for perhaps a short time, perhaps a long time. So like Paul and like Jesus, we shouldn't soften the message to prevent unbelievers from disliking or persecuting us. Jesus said in John 15, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hates you. Remember the word I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So we too should be ready to suffer for the gospel if necessary. But on the other hand, in this case, Paul did not suffer unnecessarily for the gospel. He was no masochist. He didn't ask for them to, to beat him. He, but he, in this case, he challenged the unlawful use of power by the Roman soldiers. We're told in verse 25, but when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? They were intending to find out the reason why the people were so against him and wanting to kill him by, uh, by flogging him. <clears throat> Uh, by torturing him, if you will. Paul saw an opportunity to avoid unnecessary suffering by appealing to his Roman citizenship in this case. What the Roman commander was doing, though he was unaware of it, was unlawful. Paul explained in verses 27 and 28 that he was born a Roman citizen, probably because his father or grandfather before him had acquired that citizenship by providing valuable services to a Roman general or administrator of some sort. And at that time in history, interrogation by torture through flogging was a form of treatment that, uh, from which Roman citizens were exempt. Should Christians today avoid unnecessary suffering as well? Should we also challenge the unlawful use of power? Someone has said, Christians and Christian organizations are permitted to use all the legal means at their disposal, appealing court decisions if necessary when they're accused of breaking the law. 
Such accusations need not be accepted simply because it might be viewed as a bad witness to employ legal counsel in our defense. On the other hand, the Bible teaches us to be subject to the governing authorities, Romans 13.1, for they are ordained by God and are for our good. However, when they do something unlawful, like the Roman commander did, we should challenge their unlawful use of power. But it should be done respectfully and for the purpose of honoring Christ. So we too should be willing to suffer for the gospel, but not unnecessarily. So let's close with a few points of application. We're told over and over in the Bible that God is with us, that Christ is with us, that the Holy Spirit is with us. So first, because Christ is with us, we can be courageous in the face of tensions, frustrations, and anger of others. Moses said to Israel and Joshua before crossing the Jordan to face their enemies in Deuteronomy 31, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it's the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. In Philippians 1, Paul wrote, It's my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but with full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in life or death. So in Christ, we can be courageous in difficult circumstances. Second, because Christ is with us, we can be calm with the assurance that we're doing God's work. In Luke 12, 11 and 12, 11 and 12 Jesus said, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. First Peter told the people, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So in Christ, we can be calm with the assurance that we are doing God's work. Third, because Christ is with us, we can be true to our calling as witnesses to Christ. Jesus told his disciples in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. If we are true believers, we are his witnesses through what we say and through what we do. Matthew 28, we're told, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So in, tri in Christ, we can be true to our calling as witnesses to Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we confess to you today our weakness in defending the gospel at times. Enable us today to say with Paul in the days ahead, for the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And remind us of your words to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.